0: Uh, It is Wednesday, uh, so you know uh, we will be here, and uh, thank you for tuning in today, uh, live or possibly from the archives, uh, where I believe most of you actually listen from. You know, as I've said before, you are the gas in my tank. So please do keep your uh, comments coming in and your show ideas. And, um, uh, you know, that's how we've managed to uh, uh, sustain here uh, for the last uh, 13 years and, uh, you know, growing with, uh, you know, more and more downloads and uh, sharing important information that, you know, we don't necessarily – Um, have access to unless we know the right questions to ask or we go to the right sources Um, I know for one uh, growing up in the Bible Belt of New Orleans uh, a lot of the stuff that I've shared here on the show over the years uh, there was no way in the world I would have found out about any of this stuff uh, had I continued to live there and be in the bubbles that I uh, grew up in and um, was in as an adult so um, it is my pleasure to be, um, you know, raising awareness, uh, you know, with all the wonderful guests that uh, uh, I believe I've had on the show over the years. And today's guest is uh, no exception. Uh, we have with us Reverend Louis Valadez. Uh, he was with us last week,
1: uh,
0: and uh, we had a show about the dangers of dominionist Christianity in the Opus Dei, um, which are uh, factions of Christianity many of our top politicians are involved in today. Uh, uh, so many in the Republican Party, or or supporters of the Republican Party, or this uh, or this dangerous, uh, you know, Dominionist Christianity uh, sect in ideology, and um, uh, you know, we did have a little bit of response from uh, from last week's show. You know, people in uh, disbelief. Um, and, uh, you know, that's why I think the show was so important, because uh, this is not something uh, that's well known out there in the world. And that's the whole point of, um, of last week's show and today's show. Uh, now, today's show, we're going to continue Um, about uh, some aspects of Christianity you might not be aware of. Uh, Again, um, I didn't learn about this uh, until the last few years, quite frankly. Um, I believe uh, the first person that tipped me off to it was uh, actually a German psychologist. His name was Eric Fromm. Um, Uh, I think he wrote the book. I think the title is To Have or To Be, or maybe it's um, To Be or To Have, one or the other. He's the first one that tipped me off uh, about the links between uh, Christianity and capitalism. And uh, then um, there was Monica Hsu, uh, who wrote The Cosmic Mother. Uh, She wrote a little bit about it as well. And uh, I've done some blog posts. Um, you know, some of the foremothers in the uh, women's spirituality movement um well you know they haven't exactly come out and said this uh, which in a way is a little bit of a disappointment you know some of these women uh, are my mentors you know uh, Merlin Stone, Rhianne Eisler Uh, but it's you know I wonder why they have not actually gone here you know as feminists I feel like you know they've been struggling for decades for women to get a piece of the pie but um, you know women have ended up with a patriarchal capitalistic piece of the High, and is that really what we wanted? So, anyway, um, uh, I'm so glad to have um, uh, Reverend Louis Valadez uh, with me who is going to bring this all uh, to the fore. Chris Hedges has also written about. Um, this as well. Uh, you can probably Google some of his articles uh, out there. But anyhow, um, just to uh, sort of reiterate what today's topic is, uh, we're going to examine the links between Christianity and capitalism. Uh, we'll learn about the shift from pre-Christian tribalism uh, and community sharing to the rise of capitalistic thinking, and um, and what the early Christian links, uh, um, you know, to uh, in, in the early Christianity links to communism and socialism. Um, So we're going to look at this unholy alliance between Christianity and capitalism uh, and look closer at what socialism really is. Um, And I think it's really important right now, as it would appear, um, that um, the presidential election coming up. This year is going to be between Bernie Sanders, a Democratic Socialist, and Biden, who is um, a centrist, a corporatist, uh, and in my opinion, someone is just going to keep offering us the crumbs of incrementalism. Uh, and where has that gotten the middle class over the last few decades? Um, uh, so, uh, so anyway, I mean, you know, Biden's even, uh, you know, on record saying that uh, they would negotiate with uh, Republicans to, uh, you know, give away more Social Security. Uh, I mean, is that like really what we need? Uh, I mean, uh, elderly people are living in poverty now. So anyway, um, you know that's sort of a side conversation we could have, but um, uh, I want to go ahead and welcome uh, Reverend Valadez to the show, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about him again just in case uh, you weren't with us last week, but I do encourage you to go listen to the February 26th interview. Um, So Reverend Louis Valadez, uh, he's better known in the neo-pagan and witchcraft communities as Oracle. Uh, He's a neo-pagan minister, and he's been initiated in a number of esoteric traditions. Uh, He is a druid in two druid orders, an an initiate in the Straga family of the late Dr. Leo Martello. Uh, He's an elder in the Minoan Brotherhood and the Alexandrian tradition of Wicca. Uh, He's a founder and high priest of the Temple of Hecate. And he's currently ordained through the Church of uh, All Worlds. And um, and this is important. You know, he is also a former licensed and ordained Christian minister. Uh, Yes, let me say that again. He's a former licensed and ordained Christian minister. So he knows what he's talking about. He's lived it. Uh, but he's rejected it now and moved on. Uh, He's currently studying for his bachelor's degree in alternative medicine, uh, and he's concentrating on nutritional therapy, and he's the author of a forthcoming book titled Strixcraft, uh, Ancient Greek Magic for the Modern Witch, which uh, Llewellyn is going to publish this year. So, um, Rev. Valadez, um, thank you for uh, returning to Voices of the Sacred Feminine today.
2: Thank you again for having me. I, I had a lot of fun last week in, uh, in encouraging people to understand the dangers of dominionism and hopefully opening their eyes to the dangers that their denominations are encouraging. And I know there was a lot of pushback on it, but, you know, uh, education is power. Knowledge is power. And uh, I was really glad for some of the conversations I even had in person.
0: Yeah, and I'm trying to think, um, uh, isn't there a saying out there, first they fight you, uh, then they laugh at you uh you know then you know then you win or something like that um i it, you know that's kind of a little foggy in my mind but uh you know i believe that um you know it, these ideas that uh you know we're sharing with people you know it it you know maybe it uh, upsets their apple cart it rubs them the wrong way because maybe they've never heard it before uh but i think um you know it's important to kind of blaze a blaze a trail. You know I've often said you know I feel like I'm out there with my pink handled machete, you know blazing a path, um, trying to clear the way, uh, you know for for some of these ideas we talk about here on the show. Um, and it's not always easy, but uh, you know eventually people do come around.
2: They do. Uh, it, t- it takes a while because people are so entrenched in their belief systems, and there's this idea, that this you know uh, psychological um, base where the more emotion is tied to belief in the in the brain, and so the more you emotionally invest yourself in a philosophy or belief system, and the more pushback you get, the more entrenched you will be, and uh, into your own systems until something comes along and says. You know, and you're able to open your mind and say a little bit, oh, you know, perhaps this is what's going on. But it takes the individual themselves to really take that step, which is very uh, scary. I know it was for me when I first stepped out of the Christian church. It was very scary for me. It was very unknown. I had no idea what to do. My paradigm was shift was 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 shaken. I had no holy book to guide me, supposedly, you know, it's supposed to guide you and be the, the fence around uh, your the life, you know, the perimeter of your life. So to have that pulled out from under me, the rug, so to speak, is very, uh, was very traumatic. And so I can understand why some people would not want to do it because it is a very traumatic um, issue.
0: Yeah, I mean, oftentimes, you know, I liken this to the Matrix movie series, you know, you're either going to take the red pill or the blue pill, and I forget now which pill is which, but you're either going to continue to live in a, your safe bubble uh, where, you know, none of your ideas are challenged, or you're going to have the courage, because it does take courage, uh, you know, to see reality for what it is, and, uh, you know, oftentimes it's more than people can uh, can handle, I think.
2: Yes, it can, you know, uh, and the matrix uh, is, uh, you know, p- comparison is, is so true because it's spot on because, you know, you have to step out and you have to be able to look at yourself honestly and objectively, which is very difficult when you're, when you carry this mask that's been forcefully put on you, almost like the man in the iron mask, you know, this, this mask that's been forcefully put on you and, and hit and you're being hidden away in doctrine. And this idea that oh my gosh, you know, I, I need to be freed, and you forget what you look like, and you forget what life is about. Um, I've had some pushback, some comments on it in person, to say, you know, well, um, you know, I am open, I am this, I am that, and it's like, well, are you sure? Because if you were, you'd really be looking at the objective of your of your church or of your denomination or of your you know, political alliances, um, which is why I'm excited to talk about today the political alliances. But yeah, it's um, again, it's a very traumatic uh, thing. It 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 shakes you to the core, and a lot of people are coming out of it, but there are still some people, unfortunately. Most people are trapped in it, as we can see from the numbers of evangelicals and others from denominations that are married to uh, the political capitalist and communist ideals.
0: Yeah. And, you know, and we should probably say that, um, uh, you know, all Christians aren't dominionists. There are a lot of great Christians out there, progressive Christians who are working hard to make the world a better place. You know, I sort of tend to call them the Jesus Christians um you know and um you know i and i even had some pushback from uh some people who said they knew pentecostals and were nothing like this and um as we talked about before the show started that could be true um we weren't uh, painting all pentecostals with the same brush uh but you might not know your friends uh who are christians or into this or it might have been a pentecostal group that didn't um, you know, go down this Dominionist road. Um, would you say that's accurate, uh, Lewis?
2: That is accurate. Uh you know, they they don't know or um they there's no name to the system. They may be uh they they may believe in the system that the Pentecostal churches or whatever or what have you, that that specific church. Uh they may believe these things, but of course, you know, There is no uh, name for it. They would not call themselves dominionists. They would not call themselves deliverance ministries. These are outsider names that we give to them to label them and, you know, what they really are. Because many of the churches object to these labels. Oh, no, we're not like that. But you are. That's what you are. It's almost like racist. I'm not racist, but, no, you are a racist. Um, And. And so uh, people object often to the labels that are given to them, but but these are accurate. And a lot of it is ignorance. Ignorance as to what are the warning signs that your church is like this? What are the warning signs that your friends are like this? And I think we went over it uh, pretty accurately. But, um, you know, again, uh, people are, you know, when they're interested in friendships or people, no, they're not like that. Well... Individual Christians also may not be like that. Individual Christians and progressive Christians, as we, as you mentioned, uh, may not follow these, these these values, but that does not mean that their church organization as a whole uh, is exempt from those values, you know, they are they are not exempt. So an individual Christian may be ignorant as to the full scope of what their church is trying to do and may look at it altruistically and say, oh, well, we're just trying to do good in the government. We're just trying to do good here and there. We're not out to really capture, uh, you know, what the kinds of things that you were talking about. I think this, this nightmarish apocalypse. But unfortunately, it, it is true whether they will acknowledge it or not.
0: Well, you know, I saw, I think, a perfect example of this on television recently, you know, uh, as you know, we're leading up to all of these, uh, you know, primary uh, elections, and uh, uh, the media went up to this person and asked who they were going to vote for, and uh, it just happened to be Trump, and uh, and they said why, and he gave this vague response, like, oh, he's done so much for the economy, and, uh, you know, I just wish... These reporters would say, well, what did he do for you exactly? You know what did he do? You know for the middle class, um, or are you just believing he's done so much for the economy because he's telling you he's done so much from the for the economy? You know it's this critical thinking element um, that's missing, and um, you know I, and it's and look it's not just in the Christian communities; it's in the pagan communities too. I know it's in the God of Spirituality community, um, and and again uh, another reason why I do these sorts of shows, even if it might ruffle some feathers, because I remember I was working with this couple for a really long time. They were part of the not-for-profit. My husband and I started the ISIS Ancient Culture Society. We did for 10 years, and um, I had no idea... Um, they were um, they were radical Republicans because it never seemed to come up and I remember after I think it was Katrina uh, one of the hurricanes that devastated New Orleans my hometown and uh, all of the news reports were coming out about how these uh, corporations were coming into town and exploiting the workers uh, paying them less than minimum wage because they could get away with it and um, and I had this conversation with this couple thinking well of course they would think that that exploitation was outrageous but they didn't you know, they were on the side of the corporation, and I was just blown away. I looked at them in a totally different sense. You know, they said, well, well, the corporation takes all the risks, and uh, if they're willing to work for that, that's their problem. But, you know, if that's the only job available. Um, I don't think that exploitation uh, is a spiritual thing to do. It's, it's, I don't think it's a moral thing to do. And uh, that's why I started talking about reconciling our spirituality and politics because, you know, I look at goddess ideals um, as, you know, caring, sharing, equality, um, you know, a level playing field, creating win-win situations, not domination and exploitation, which is what capitalism is, you know, and so I guess maybe this kind of, you know, brings us back to our topic today, but, um, you know, a- a- any thoughts about that, um, Lewis?
2: You know, it's interesting because uh, lately there's been a battle in in the neo-pagan and polytheistic communities about about conservatism versus liberalism, and there has been an influx of nationalists in some quarters, such as in Hellenic polytheism, people wanting to claim Greek nationalism and say, you know, well, it's only us, bloodlines, and conservative, and their, their politics are very conservative. Um, they want to push back against liberalism and liberal ideology in in, in their religion. I know there's a lot of uh, racial divide right now in the heathen community, and even political. There's a lot of uh, heathens, such as many in the Theod community, not all, but many uh, in Anglo-Saxon reconstructionism, who are staunch Republican, who are staunch and will support their own, and are known because of their... Uh, their own mindset on what is religion and hierarchy and values. Um, they feel that the Republican Party is is more prone to support their own values rather than uh, liberalism, and, you know, in the Democratic Party or or whatever party And that's not Republican. And so, it it was a shock to me because here I am thinking all neo pagans and polytheists must be liberal. And that is not the case. And so that surprised me about how much pushback there is, and especially, as you said, in the goddess spirituality community, and even in some of the Wiccan community. I mean, Wicca is not a doctrine. It's it's an orthopraxy rather than teaching a doctrine. So you'll have many Wiccans of different flavors, especially in traditional initiatory Wicca. Where uh, you know you'll have many Wiccans are are very different politically. They're very different philosophically, but yet they're able to work together in a coven setting to worship the gods. Um, But there are Wiccans who are very conservative and magicians who are very conservative and feel that the Republican Party or any conservative party, uh, you know, they'll be like, oh well, they're not. You know, we're Republican, but we're not extreme Republican. Well. Currently, her party is extreme. Uh, so it's either you support it wholeheartedly or you don't. I hate to make it black and white, but they've made it black and white. And this is a this is a battle for our rights, my rights, and and minorities and, and marginalized groups um, are in danger of uh, being trampled on by these um, extreme these conservative right wing parties. And I don't understand how support can continue for them, um, but, you know, that, that's what they do. And so it really is a travesty
0: yeah well and and just you know one last thought on this uh you know before we uh jump into um uh you know the christianity's links to uh capitalism is um you know i and and i obviously uh an error in my thinking i guess uh or i don't know maybe it's it's uh in You know, it's an error in their thinking. But, um, you know, I came to this with the thought that if we're pagans, we all revere the earth. Uh, You know, the earth is our mother kind of a thing. And to me, it was very simple. You know, if you support a party that, uh, you know, is going to be, you know, raping the earth and doing this fracking and, um, you know, letting developers and oil companies and all of these, uh, you know, companies for, uh, you know, for profit, uh, destroy the environment, uh, then, you know, are you really a pagan? You know, are are you really about Earth-based spirituality? And um, I don't know, you know, it feels like there's a a cognitive disconnect if you say you're an Earth-based spirituality and then you will go along and support um, you know, these Republican ideas and and look and also corporatist Democrats. I'm down on corporatist Democrats, too, because as far as I'm concerned, they're just Republican light. Um, you know, they they will, you know, for the sake of money, um, will will rape the earth. And it feels like to me. Um, you know, if we call ourselves neo-pagans, earth-based spiritualists, that, you know, we have to reconcile our spirituality and politics. Um, I mean, I don't know, Lewis. you educate me. To your knowledge, or any of the neo-pagans out there, I mean, are they, I mean, are they all earth Day spirituality um, oriented, or um, is that where the disconnect comes in? I'm just mistaken about that.
2: You know, I, I, a lot of, there's been a, a debate right now about, um, you know, whether or not uh, in the community we should all be, you know, identify ourselves by earth-based spirituality, or there are people who are uh, what call themselves God-centered pagans or God-centered polytheists, meaning that although they understand the, um, the importance of protecting the earth, uh, they are not. They don't want to identify solely as these uh, "quote unquote" tree-hugging pagans. So they want to be more uh, god-centered, deity-centered, and so they're they're about surviving traditions and and worship and, and protecting their you know the cultists that they've developed uh, towards these gods. And so um, you know, but in my opinion, I feel that there is a disconnect. That it's you know you're. Your deities, in, in so many words, were born of nature. Your ancestors understood that. Um, there are some people, however, such as some heathens who, not all heathens, but some heathens, that is, Germanic Reconstructionists or Anglo-Saxon um, or Nordic uh, spiritual spiritualists who believe uh, that, you know, it, it's more about virtues and self. And, and having a warrior aesthetic or having a cultural aesthetic a tribal aesthetic uh as opposed to just being connected only to the na- to the cycles of nature which appears to be something that neo pagans um especially neo pagans seem to have come up with during the uh the 50s and 60s when the wheel of the year was invented you know and there was this combination of of druidry and with a uh, influence that combined together to create the Will of the Year under a druid named Ross Nichols and a Wiccan uh, Gerald Gardner, who founded Wicca. Um, you know, they came here and, and they looked at their earth-based spirituality, which was a reaction to the Industrial Revolution. Actually, um, earth-based spirituality and nature-based medical uh, medical professions such as naturopathy and uh, you know essentialism. Uh, were a reaction to the barbaric practices of the time in industrial revolutions and in medicine. And so it was about a return to nature, back to nature, and I think we've forgotten that. We've forgotten our roots so much. So there are some neo-pagans who who are very much like that, but then there are other neo-pagans who are like, no, we, we need to go back to where we come from.
0: Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, um, uh, it, great conversation here. And um, and so let's go back to the beginning. Um, were Christians always like this? Uh, you know, or was it more of a, I guess, uh, more of a socialistic kind of, uh, uh, you know, it's about the we and the us rather than the I and the me kind of a thing? You know, has it always been this selfishness?
2: No, it has not actually um, Christianity began actually as, as a communistic and socialistic a combining a somewhat combining the two philosophies um, uh, movement and uh, they they lived a common life and many of them and to be a Christian meant to voluntarily um, surrender your possessions for example, this was some of the things for example, like in Acts chapter two verses forty three to forty five um, there is a quote that goes, you know, that everyone was still with awe at some of the miracles that were performed by the apostles. And so what they did was under their direction that all the believers got together and they had everything in common. They sold their property, they sold their possessions, and it was given to anyone in need. All the monies came together and they were distributed to whoever it needed to be. Um, you know, Jesus said in Luke fourteen thirty three, each of you who doesn't give up all that he possesses is is really incapable of being my disciple. So there's this commandment. There's this idea that Christianity was born uh, to give and to share, and it's a it's it's a, it was a Greek word called uh, koinonia, and uh, koinonia really was translated differently in different parts of the Bible, such as fellowship, uh, sharing, um, participation. But what it really meant was it was a jointly contributed gift uh, that was uh, it, the idea of equality that that was the goal equality for all members whether men women or children and that everyone had an equal say everyone um, had an equal part to help in these ministries and uh, unfortunately what ended up occurring was you know um, you know Christian Christianity really began to change, Um, and uh, you know, with philosophies like Thomas Aquinas, who who began to lead a debate. I mean, the Franciscan Order. I mean, this was the this was the way the medieval Church functioned for quite some time too. Even though the Roman Catholic Church was in charge, Church and state were one. Um, Many of the Catholic orders, such as the Franciscans, gave up their possessions and lived together in monasteries and gave to the poor and grew their own foods and lived sustainably. Um, But unfortunately around, I want to say about the 14th, was it, 12th century, 1323, I believe, um, Pope John XXII declared that these kinds of living were, actually were heretical to the church because it threatened the establishment. And there was even a, a debate in the church, and a council that came together to debate on whether Christ owned property, uh, to tell whether or not they, they should follow these um, these commandments on what to to give up and to surrender all, uh, or to accumulate some kind of wealth and keep the uh, pope and the cardinals in power. Um, you know, they kind of forgot that Matthew 6:24, Jesus spoke about. You know, you you can't. Live two ma- by two masters. You either live by God or or you live by money, by Mammon. And um, so Christianity did not start out how it is now. It 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 became that way because they grabbed onto power to survive, and survival is is what prompted um, their privilege, and began the downward spiral of what we have today.
0: Yeah. Yeah, because I mean I, I remember uh you know I mean, w- w- the beauty of Christianity was the equality. You know, women were priests, uh you know the the poor, the slaves, uh they all had a place. Uh but that shifted. Um you know do you have a date or date range, you know, when things um you know started to go bad? Uh, I mean, how maybe how long was it? Uh, this ideal that we're talking about where, you know, there was equality and there was this uh, sharing and caring rather than this, this grab for power and money.
2: Uh, We want, I want to say about, you know, somewhere between the fourth century, uh, many of the early church fathers really encouraged this idea of communalism. So I want to say about that to about maybe, maybe about the 12th, through the 16th century so maybe like right around there so we're talking about a period of at least um you know at least 10 centuries you know at least at least a millennia so this was this was the idea this was the the practice of the church and again though um you know unfortunately um you know with the rise of church and state it 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 began to break down around around that same time around the 4th or 5th centuries but there were still pockets of Christianity that held on to these to these communal ideals no matter what, that uh, the political alliance between Catholicism and, and, and the state, the Roman state, uh, was more about survival than anything else. And many Christians at that time felt that way. Many of the church fathers in their writings um, did write about this. And St. Augustine, for example, wrote in The City of God, he wrote, you know, about how... Uh, it was still encouraged for Christians to not forget where they came from. Um, I guess maybe as a warning also to the to the inherent powers that be of where they were headed. You know, the Latin Church Father Cattolien really was one of the movers and shakers behind the power grabs that uh, encouraging the power grab that came from uh, the the marriage of Catholic Catholicism and and uh, and the Roman Empire. But I want to say it was. Probably close to about anywhere from 700 years to about 1,000 years that this uh, okay. doctrine, in some in in some form or fashion, survived.
0: Okay. Um. So, so it was around for a pretty long time, and still until it started getting uh, chipped away at and distorted.
2: That's correct. Yeah, it was. It was very much so.
0: So, um, so let's, um, you know, let's get, you know, let's make it a little bit more relevant. Um, uh, You know, we've sort of established that Christianity was not all of this, you know, not always this predator capitalistic model, or even if you don't want to say predator, you know, which it feels like it is today, it wasn't a capitalist thing, Um, you know, talk about the, you know why why uh, Christianity um, uh, you know was more as, uh, more associated um, you know with capitalism uh, rather than socialism or, or communism. But but I think it was, well, all right. Let me rephrase that. I think early on you said comm, uh, uh, Catholicism. Uh, I mean Christianity was more associated with communism and socialism. Yes, and then it shifted to capitalism.
2: That's correct. Uh, It it, it had this combination of, you know, communism, communal living, communal sharing, and then socialism, where the ones in charge were able to share what they had in common with those that were in need. And this actually helped the church. If I may say, this this type of um, economy actually helped the church survive when when the Roman Empire was experiencing severe droughts and severe. And harvests were were not growing uh, properly, and, and people were becoming coming poor. They actually turned to the church, uh, to Christian um, groups for food, and and for shelter because the Christians uh, had done this already, and and this helped to swell their numbers.
0: I see. Yeah. And uh, but then but then things start to shift and you know and you you've sort of alluded to that. Um I mean how how does that happen? I mean how do they uh go from this, you know, uh, again the socialist communist model which I want to address the fact that that comes with such negative baggage now. Um and you know and and then they switch over uh, you know, to capitalism. Um, I, I mean, I—that's I, kind of a big topic. I guess I'm asking you to to explain. But you know, um, is there more to the mindset? I mean, more to how that shift happens, and uh, and 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 maybe um, define what socialism actually is. You know, because it It seems like you know especially the media today wants to demonize uh socialism um so i I turn it over to you to explain it to us
2: sure uh well, I mean yeah, let's define socialism first and foremost, and I mean you know there there's always been a debate as to what socialism itself can mean I mean people are are freaked out about the word because they they equate it to. You know, because there were people like Karl Marx who talked about socialism and people like marx with 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 uh, Soviet communism, which is completely different. But you know, in simple terms, socialism really is 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 any system uh, that you know the the production and the distribution of goods and services is very much a shared responsibility of a group of people. You know it's based upon this idea of of collective sharing and in, in in the state in the state and this is where it gets freaky because people are freaked out in a state of socialism uh there is no privately owned property and that's what americans want to fight for you know well i have the right to privacy and private property which is which is a fact so um you know and i and i completely understand because i mean that's one of the guarantees of bill of rights and declaration was you know that we have inalienable rights and we you know the right to live life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So, um, you know, so just exactly what is the true definition of socialism is, is what I had just mentioned. But, um, but really, it's also an economic theory where the money made belongs to the people who actually make stuff. Instead of a group of private owners, and I think that that's where the confusion lies. Is what is what we're talking about? Privacy, privately owned property, is really what we're talking about. Is the corporations that trade wealth uh, by subjugating the workers uh, and making the profits, and then keeping the profits rather than redistributing to the to the workers, and. This really rose in Christianity during the late medieval times. After Pope, um, after the Pope uh, John the Twenty Second, declared that the Franciscan idea, the, the Christian idea of communism, was was heretical, because again it was a threat to the state. They wanted to keep their money. They wanted to keep their power, and we see it start rising again and again, no matter what. Uh, it trickled down to Protestants. Um, as well when the Protestant Revolution started. uh, John Calvin, for example, in the 16th century, talked about how, uh, you know, that there is this idea that there are chosen people and these people have a right to inherit the earth. They don't, you know, but they were like, you know, meek. The meek have the right to inherit the earth, according to Jesus' teachings. But they felt that being a Christian automatically meant that you have a right to possess the earth and to possess property and to possess people.
1: And
2: so this is why many of the Calvinist uh, denominations, um, they when they fled to America, they had no qualms about owning slaves because they were the chosen. And they felt that the slaves did all the work so that way they could turn their Mind to lofty spiritual pursuits, but they had no no problem doing it because they were the chosen and this this american uh, and it really took off in American Protestantism uh, and uh, you know this idea that uh, you know they they there is uh this this notion actually that was written by Adam Smith. Who is um, who was a Christian and a capitalist? I, I think he's the father of capitalism, actually, Adam Smith. Um, he wrote a book in 1776 called An Inquiry into the Nature and the Causes of Wealth of Nations, where he talked about the, the interest of greater economy. And this was a this was a Christian-based um, book because it talked about God and Christ a lot and what the what the work of Christ was. You know, and the the examples it set forth as far as the Bible and, and doctrine was concerned is that in the interest of the greater economy, um, people should not be selfish about their work, but give up their gratification short-term, their their short-term gratifications, in order to be profitable to the community long-term. And this was... It's called deferred gratification, And it was known as enlightened self interest, meaning that to do well by doing good, you do act in the further interest of others. And that altruism, uh, in and of itself, which is one of the cornerstones of communism and socialism, to be altruistic, was not good. Because you were now becoming, you were not um, working for the state or for the common interest of the state, you were working for the common good and your neighbors, and this encouraged a type of tribalism which was frowned upon as far as national identity was concerned. So we're seeing the rise of nationalism and patriotism combined with religion and combined with economic theory at this time. And uh, this really took off in the 19th century, uh, where we see capitalism on an imperial scale in many parts of the world um, with the rise of Uh, capitalistic states uh, and imperial states where they felt that they were giving democracy, but they were giving democracy to only a chosen few, and we see Christianity as the official religion of those states. And we see imperial uh, powers such as England and France and, and Belgium, many European powers infiltrating colonies and, and uh, other countries for, to make them colonies. And so we see this idea that, you know, they were forcing people finally to give up their, uh, their original economic theories in favor of capitalism and Christianity.
0: And, and I think uh, that's where we end up with colonialism. Uh, which you know uh is a you know is an evil i mean basically um uh you know people become slaves uh you know to the um, to the you know to the capitalist model um you know it it giving up altruism uh you know seems I, I don't know this whole idea seems like justification for selfishness. Uh, you know that it's only a uh you know a chosen few that are entitled to benefit from um you know one's toil and effort. Uh, you know, the rest of us are just sort of cogs in a wheel that um, work for the chosen few. Um, I I mean, I I remember I was surprised when I interviewed Richard Wolfe, because again, this was not something we learned in the Bible Belt of the South. Uh, I interviewed Richard Wolf, who was an an economist, uh, and you can find the interviews, uh, I'm pretty sure, in the archives, if you put Voices of the Sacred Feminine, uh, Richard Wolfe. You know, he talked about um, you know, FDR was forced into creating our social safety net, uh, making provisions for the safety of workers and the benefits of workers by the communists and the socialists and the and the unions. And, you know, that just blew me away because, you know, I grew up with that idea that, oh, the communists and the socialists, they're the evil people, you know. But if it hadn't been for them and, um, you know, FDR being pushed, uh, we wouldn't even have social security, or uh, probably unemployment insurance, and a 40-hour week, and you know uh, all of the different things that we have. And I don't know. I, I guess I just find it incredulous, uh, you know, that disconnect. Um, you know that you know we want to demonize the communists and the socialists all the time, but it feels like that's capitalist propaganda. Um, I mean that's not to say that you know those systems don't have flaws, but those systems can be um, you know altered and um, and uh, you know uh, worked against so that they fail and you know it makes it look look like it's a uh, it makes it look like it's a failure when it was actually maybe sabotaged um I, I don't know your your thoughts on that. I mean, am I am I going down a rabbit hole here, or or, or are there some kernels of truth in that?
2: No, there's some kernels of truth. Um, and 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 speaking of FDR, I mean, and, and this takes us back to um, Calvinism. And, uh, you know, it takes us back to this idea that um, you know. It, it, Calvinism as a as a Protestant ethic, this idea that there's a there's a chosen and there's a caste system um, really became a twentieth century American phenomenon as a reaction to FDR's socialist policy. And there were a lot of uh, evangelicals at the time, and many Christians who rose to prominence preaching the evils of socialism and uh, that, you know, we were being taken over, that this was the end of the world, you know, and and this was the the end times that was being preached about. And, uh, I mean, we have the rise of tycoons such as, uh, I believe there's a Texas oil tycoon by the name of Sid Richardson, who began to fund evangelicals, uh, who favored the Calvinist doctrine that, you know, the, the harder you work, the more you give up in self-interest that you're going to accumulate wealth and those that are less deserving and not chosen don't deserve the wealth that they, and which are mostly where the poor and the disenfranchised and minorities. And so you have people like Sid Richardson who, so, who funded people like Billy Graham. Billy Graham became famous just because of Sid Richardson's funding um, and, and behind the scenes. Otherwise, Billy Graham would have in a blip note in history, it's just another you know crazy event, a crazy creature. But we began to see this, and we began to see how um, there were movements. There were movements within the church to start pushing for wealth, especially after the Johnson Amendment. Uh, Lyndon Johnson signed into the uh, you know signed into law that uh, churches don't have to be taxed. And uh, when that happened, there was an explosion. An explosion of uh, prosperity, um, Calvinist doctrine such as the Word of Faith movement in the '70s, where yes. Christians, white Christians, which spread over to to um, um, minority Christianity, where you could speak and just claim something, almost like the the, the book, The Secret. You know, you just you you attract it. You 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 are you know holy positivity, and all negative negativity is to be wiped away from your from your mindset you know word of faith name it and claim it which of course then led to what's called whole salvation where you're not saved unless you're 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 not a christian unless you're also prospering in a wealthy manner you're healed you don't have to go to the doctor's office you know you have money it just became a, a a vicious cycle
0: so speak to the prosperity gospels um, because you know I it it seems to me there's some uh, selfishness and evil, <laughs> it, I mean maybe that's a strong word, um, but it it uh, it seems to be um, you know the opposite of what Jesus preached and the you know the the origins of of, of Christianity you know it, it, uh, it, if I understand it properly I mean what's you know explain to listeners um you know sort of that disconnect uh about the prosperity gospels
2: you know the prosperity gospel is 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 preaches that um the the core doctrine is that the more you give to the church the more you give to the ministry the more money that you invest god will in turn bless you and so you have a lot of people who invest in the church, their their life savings, or give a lot of money. I know, in my family, we ended up um, giving. We we were very poor. We we were not very rich family, but we but with my dad's social security and you know, all of us combined together. And and when I was working hard, uh, growing up, we were giving away at least two to three hundred dollars a week to the church, hoping that we'd receive blessings in return. And there was this blind faith of, you know, even though we didn't have food at home or we didn't have uh, enough money, it was like, oh, no, you know, you'll be fine, because the more you give, uh, that will bless the pastor or the head of the church, the more the blessings come down, because there's uh, this the scripture in the book of Psalms talks about the priesthood, and it says that God brings, The oil of anointing from the head down so it was interpreted as an allegory that you know the pastor or the head of the church the more they prosper the more you'll prosper and that's just not how it works and people are stuck in poverty because of
1: it
0: well that's the prosperity uh, 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 i'm sorry that's the trickle-down economics we hear about Uh, you know isn't it and uh, you know it's interesting you're saying that my husband and I experienced it in Kabbalah um I was really interested in Kabbalah for a while, and uh, we went to classes for a couple years uh because it, it was it I, I was interested because there was so much magic in it um you know I wanted to see where the connections between Kabbalah and God of spirituality might be and um you know just uh I, and i I experienced that there as well uh because um I, I had a shoulder injury. And uh, it wasn't healing. And I was afraid that I was headed for surgery. And the teacher that had been assigned to me, um, uh, well, it was actually by my third teacher because I asked so many questions, they kept passing me off to uh, teachers that were higher and higher up uh, because, you know, uh, you know, they didn't like all my questions. But anyway, um, you know, he said, well, then you're not tithing enough. If you tithed more, your shoulder would heal. Well, you know, that was like such a huge red flag to me because we had started tithing a lot just to see if that energy exchange would net anything, you know. And, um, and, and it got to the point where there was, there was no more discretionary income to tithe. And I said that to him. And he said, well, get a second job. And I said, I'm going to go get a second job to tithe more, you know, and 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 you're going to promise me that my shoulder is going to heal and I'm not going to need surgery. And I don't know, it was just the insanity of it was so repulsed me that in spite of the fact that there were some great and interesting classes there, I just ran for the hills, you know?
2: Oh, I don't blame you. Not not one bit. I mean that is a red flag. Give and, and you'll and that goes back to whole salvation. Give and, and, and you'll be just fine and that's not how it works. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, exactly. Um okay, so um so where do you wanna where do you wanna go with from here, um, Lewis? Do we wanna talk about uh, you know what democratic socialism is versus socialism and communism um, you know the I, I don't know and I, I kind of want to talk about too this you know uh, you know thanks to it sounds like the Protestants we have this rugged individualism for the individual but but it's uh, you know been tweaked uh, where the corporations are the ones that get the socialism you know they're the ones that are benefiting from our tax dollars rather than our tax Dollars actually going toward our social safety net, kind of a thing. Um, you know, where, where do you want to go um, from here on this?
2: Well, I mean, we can talk about democratic socialism, and you know, it, it, it you know, how it fares into um, socialism itself. Okay. And democratic socialism, for those who are not aware. Um, it is a political philosophy, and it does support democracy, but the economy itself is socially owned, and I think this is where the disconnect lies. When people think of demo- uh, socialism and communism, they think of places like Stalinistic Russia. And what people don't realize is, is that that was a total uh, totalitarian state married with communist and socialist ideals I mean it, the, the, the idea is socialism and communism these are economic theories it's the politics that's married to those economies that determines how successful it will turn out for, for the benefit of the people
0: And so that's why when we look at the Scandinavian countries, uh, like, you know, the uh, policies that Bernie Sanders advocates for, uh, we're looking at the Scandinavian countries that have democratic socialism rather than the totalitarian socialism of Stalin.
2: That's correct. Yes. Um, And. You know we have a lot of uh examples in the scandinavian countries about how you know they're uh they're very so, uh, socially liberal and they are uh they have these things in place these systems in place to take care of their elderly take care of the children take care of their families medically and financially so that no one is is going without Right,
0: right, and you know it, it it um I don't know it's just amazing to me that Americans seem to want to be masochists, you know uh that they would uh normalize their tax dollars, go into the military industrial complex to uh corporations that don't need more tax dollars while uh you know our social safety net is shredded. Um, you know, and the elderly don't have enough to live on and, you know, there there's no college, there's no health care. Um, you know, it it's really just amazing to me that people don't want more for themselves. I I, I quite honestly don't understand it, Lewis. <laughs>
2: I don't either. This is a this is again a, another disconnect. This is the marriage of emotion and belief. And the more facts you present, the more entrenched people will become in their belief systems. They will. Refi- it has to be a change from within, and this is what's the most difficult yeah. part because it's you know how do you change from how do you convince people to change from within. And it's, it's when they become desperate. It's when people become desperate, which is what's happening now in our country. People are, be, you know, especially our generation, you know, the younger generation. People are becoming desperate. They are, be, they are seeing the collapse of the capitalist system and how it just does not work. They are working two to three jobs. They have no health insurance. I have a very dear friend of mine who does not have health insurance right now, and she's afraid to go into the emergency room to treat a serious illness because she's going to be, you know, how does she afford it? And hospitals, sometimes I've seen bias with lots of hospitals, they will turn you away. They will just put a a metaphorical bandage on your issue because you don't have insurance. You know, how are they going to get paid? And, uh, I mean, not every hospital is like this, but I've seen hospitals do this. You go to the ER, you have no insurance. They won't keep you very long. You're just in and you're out as, as best as you can be whereas people who have insurance are treated much more I want to I don't want to say the word royally but they are they're given rooms they're they're treated better you know because you have the insurance you have the money that's going to make up make it up upwards up. Right.
0: Well, and, and I would caution people, too, to um, be careful what they listen to on television. You know, they, they've they been running a commercial uh, where I live in Kern County for a while uh, where this guy is going to talk about the evils of Canadian medicine, uh, that, you know, it's, uh, you know, there's shortages and everybody doesn't have access to it. And, you know, I really really believe that some of these people are being paid uh, to, uh, you know, to spread disinformation, Um, you know, because we know people who live in Canada. We know people who live in the Scandinavian countries, and these things just simply aren't true. Uh, I think this is just more propaganda and scare tactics, uh, you know, to keep people – you know, uh, not expecting uh, you know to have a better quality of life. Quite frankly.
2: Oh, definitely, definitely, and I mean, people don't realize I think that our our country was declared, you know, church and state were one in England, and or are one, and this notion of hierarchy, and you know that there is a caste system of wealth and the the bottom are poor. And I don't think people realize that our country was founded on socialist ideals, this idea that, you know, all men are created equal. They're endowed with certain unalienable rights, and it's life in the pursuit of happiness. Um, you know, this was a John Locke philosophy that completely overturned um, the, uh, the, note, the financial notion that, there, you know, wealth is only for a, a chosen few. And, uh, you know, and this comes back to, you know, what, what are our values? People have to start asking themselves, what are their values? Where do they stand? Where do they lie? And as a neo-pagan uh, myself, I believe that there should be something called eco-socialism or democratic eco-socialism, where we begin to see the, the benefits of eco-consciousness. Uh, to better our, our planet, to better the Mother Earth and all the, all, all her creatures because we are a part of it. We are a part of that system. And unless we, we begin to do something soon, uh, you know and drastically and radically, we really are in the danger zone. Uh, I mean Mother Earth will survive and we won't. but it really is a, a, it really is a fight right now between power grabs of, of failed capitalism, and the rise of people who feel that their own interests are what's more important. So we're seeing a battle between capitalism and socialism at the moment.
0: Right, right. And it, and of course, you know, uh, you know, the media is owned by corporations. You know, they aren't, uh, uh, you know, out there to teach the public. <laughs> or encourage the public to to vote in their own interests. Uh, You know, in in fact, they they do just the opposite. And uh, it concerns me because our educational systems are not teaching people civics or um, you know economics or uh, even critical thinking to be able to um, you know make the best decision for their sel- themselves and their families instead, uh, you know they're say- they're doing what the church tells them from the pulpit or, like you said, make decisions based on emotions or fear. Uh, I mean, you know, how many people are voting, uh, you know, for Joe Biden right now out of fear uh, because, you know, Bernie Sanders is something new or has been demonized in the media uh, rather than thinking to myself, well, you know what, I want a better quality of life. That's what he's offering. You know, uh, we we need to um, uh, start going in that direction or there's no hope anything will ever change. Um, you know, it's really kind of crazy. <laughs>
2: It really is. And, you know, you mentioned the media. And, and the media, uh, you know, as you said, you know, they, they exchange for money and access. You know, they, they don't – their attention is, you know, they have 20 seconds to give you the news. And that 20 seconds is given to stuff that is not relevant to people's everyday lives. They will cover something and then they'll move on. They'll cover something and move on. And it, it doesn't stay in the American consciousness. Uh, you know, we, we've we lost the ability, journalists have lost the ability to be effective, to be objectively effective in their work because they have the corporate news entity that they have to feed. And the corporate entity gets to choose what's important, what isn't. You know, what's going to grab ratings and what isn't. And it's all about ratings. Yeah. It's all about money. And this is yeah. uh, a facade. We have a facade of, of what what the media really is.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. And and it's unfortunate. Um and, and and nothing I guess that's why I like doing my show, uh, is because, you know, we can have the follow up question. You know, uh it feels like so often these uh people on television who interview folks, uh just let them spiel their ideas and never question them. Uh, You know, they can say anything, get away with it, and by virtue of the fact that people are hearing it, you know, on the television airwaves, I mean, so many people just accept it as truth uh, as opposed to them ever being challenged, and, um, uh, you know, that's unfortunately sad, and, you know, that's a whole you know, whole whole other problem with the, you know, with, with the media abdicating their responsibility as uh, the fourth estate. And I mean, what that means is they were supposed to be the watchdogs of democracy. And instead, you know, uh, again, it feels like to me, it's capitalism and greed uh, that have sort of uh, you know just weaken the whole you know all of the institutions uh that uh that protect us and um yeah it's 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 a per- huge pervasive problem. Um, but the status quo in my opinion is not the the answer that's kind of like just you're out in the ocean and you're about to drown and you're just going to keep treading water (laughs) you know at some point you're going to get so exhausted you're just going to you know you're just going to succumb and drown rather than maybe you know having some courage and swimming to the shore you know doing something different I don't know if that's a good analogy or not but it kind of just popped into my head you know I feel like that's but, you know, some people are, are choosing. You know, it's more the same rather than a better solution.
2: Oh, definitely. I mean, and you mentioned greed. I mean, going back, to the, you know, socialism was a reaction to greed capitalism at that time, which began to rise uh, with the industrial revolution. Uh, you know, Karl Marx. He's a scary guy, but you know, hey, you know, his his philosophy was. You know, what we're, you know, predicting where we are going. Uh, if we continue along this road, it is going to destroy humanity. Uh, a man by the name of Peter Drucker, uh, he wrote a book called The Post Capitalist Society. And, you know, he talked about, he talks about how, you know, where we need to head now, where the changes need to go in order for us to survive because it's just not working it's it's just it's it's a failed experiment and uh the experiment of capitalism is is an utmost failure
0: yeah yeah I mean I think about you know some of the things that happen over in the scandinavian countries i mean uh you know aside from the fact that you know they yeah they may pay a little bit more in their taxes, but they get so much more for it you know health care um you know uh you know uh, what do you call it uh child care uh free education you know there's a forty percent rule where you know after the government has paid for a woman's education they And corporations have to make space. 40% of women on the board, and corporations balked at that in the beginning, but then a lot of them saw that they benefited from it, because, you know, oftentimes women just innately bring a different perspective kind of to the table. Um, You know, I I mean, I would sure like to live in a country where I felt like my tax dollars were really going for my quality of life and the social safety net, so I feel like I could retire uh, with dignity, or, you know, I wouldn't go bankrupt if i got sick um i mean it's just crazy that everything uh, is geared toward making money you know this unfettered growth you know, can't continue. I mean, it's just not sustainable. And, um, I, I mean, I look at the millennials coming up, and I hope they're, they are our salvation, quite frankly. I mean, so many people want to demonize them, uh, but they're the ones that seem to be willing to take a chance on something new and have the sense that what we've been doing for the last, you know, 40 years, Uh, hasn't uh, improved the quality of life of, uh, you know, the average person in this country.
2: It has not. And, you know, you talk about the taxes, you know, in Scandinavian countries. And, you know, uh, know, taxes in this country, you know, whereas people are like, you know, I'm already paying as much, I'm already paying as much. Well, that's why we want taxes on the rich. We want taxes on, on that percentage. You know, they can afford it. They can afford the 50 to 70 percent tax rate. You know, they don't. Nobody needs to live in a gold with a gold toilet bowl. Uh, you know, that's just ridiculous. I mean, you know, they, they should be taxed. Their monies should go to social programs and build a middle class. And but unfortunately, capitalism is all about you know, the more you work, uh, quote unquote, the more you work, or the more you invested, the, the higher the standard you live. Uh, it's it's turned around now to where you know it's back to trickle down economics just like it was in the church, or it is in the church. You know, it's, as long as the upper part is taken care of, it it'll come down, and that's not the case <laughs> unfortunately. In Scandinavian yeah. countries, uh, you know, the tax rate is high uh, compared to the rest of Europe, but you know uh, there is a high personal tax burden on their citizens. Uh, but when you look at um, you know the local and national rates combined. Uh, they're also flatter than in most other nations. Uh, you know, for example, in Denmark, the top marginal tax rate uh, is about, although it's one to two, point, about mm, one and a half percent times in the national average income. Uh, you know, by comparison, the top marginal tax rate in the United States is about almost ten percent. It's almost like 8.5 to 10.5 times the national average. And so although they're paying a high tax, it's really not as high as ourselves, but it's also, you know, they're, they're also taxing corporations uh, with a higher income than, than we are here.
0: Well, and and, you know, and that's, and and, I mean, it's it's incredulous that you know you and I are probably paying a higher percentage of taxes than uh, the guy who owns Amazon, you know, or or Bill Gates, or you know these these corporations, Um, you know. I mean, that's that's just insane, and um, uh, you know, it, it just amazes me that something so unfair. Uh, can be normalized, and, uh, you know, this is another one of my pet peeves, that we normalize this abuse and exploitation, you know, we normalize it, and it just, it makes me a little crazy, Lewis. Um well um you know maybe we're uh we're toward the end here um is there anything we haven't spoken about uh that I haven't asked Lewis that you feel like you want to um you know you want to say before we close the interview um you know i, I don't know uh, did we cover adequately where you know the values of neo paganism fit into all of this um i I'm, I'm not sure. I just want to make sure I give you enough time uh, if there's any more you, you know, want to make sure you say.
2: Oh, yeah. No, uh, thank you, Ken, for having me. But uh, one last thing is just, you know, how we implement socialist ethics in our lives, you know. Um, we do have to be involved in the political process, obviously, but with eco-socialism, uh, we do need to be what I call uh, environmentally evangelistic. Um, you know, we need to be more aware of our, of our biosystem, of our collective biosystem as humans with uh, the, the nature that, that survives around us. So, you know, we have to build our own virtues, you know, which, which includes how we treat others, you know, with social equality. So for people who are, you know, um, at the express of being controversial, white, cis, uh, you know, cisgender, heteronormative people, You know, check your privilege. Um, You know, advocate for minorities and women and marginalized groups, you know. And don't do out of Messiah syndrome. Don't go into uh, an African-American church and preach how you're against racism. Tell tell your white friends. Go into a white church, um, majority church. Tell people. Check your privilege. Make sure that you understand and that you're not mansplaining to women about women's issues. Give them their space. They deserve it. So, until we all begin to work together for the common good, uh, we are going to continue to see capitalist ethics.
0: Well said, well said. Uh, well, Lewis, thank you very much uh, for uh, being on the show and, and sharing so much history here uh, because, again, you know, I don't think people uh, immediately equate uh, capitalism and Christianity, and especially if they're Christian. I think they need to know. Uh, their history and their roots and maybe, you know, why they're hearing what they're hearing from the pulpit and uh, start to use some critical thinking about, is this really who I am, you know, or, you know, or is this really my values? Um, And just a reminder, um, I would encourage listeners uh, to go to the search on my show page and um, look for those interviews I did with Richard Wolf. You know, he really talks about how important it is uh, that we have employee-owned businesses, that we have corporations where we have um, uh, an employee representative sitting on the board so that when corporations make decisions, uh, you know, employees uh, are considered and it isn't always just uh, what's best for the shareholders and for the CEOs, you know, the the workers who do the work that make the money, um, you know, uh, they actually, uh, you know, have an interest and, uh, you know, and they're protected as well. And also, um, I did an interview with Sylvia Federici uh, about this and it ties in uh, spirituality, feminism, religion um, with, um, you know, paganism and capitalism. That would be another good show. So uh, if this is a new topic to you or it's a topic that floats your boat, uh, so that's also Sylvia Federici, Sylvia Federici and Richard Wolff. Um, well, Lewis, thank you so much. Um, uh, please know I've appreciated all of this, and um, you know, you're always welcome to p- come back on the show uh, You know, if, if there are other topics uh, that you'd like to uh, share with listeners here.
2: Thank you again so much. I, I really enjoyed the time here. I, I enjoyed uh, being a part of this. I'm very grateful, and I just hope that there's a lot of people out there that understand that they're not alone in, in their um, in their pursuit of happiness. Thank
0: you, thank you, well said, and you know we do have to start thinking about our quality of life and our happiness. You know it's not something uh that we hear too often. You know more often uh, we hear this idea of uh, it's noble to um to suffer and sacrifice. And, um, you know, I think that just sets the mindset off, uh, you know, to exploit us uh, down the road in our life and then we normalize it. Uh, So just some food for thought. You know, maybe it's obvious. Um, You know, maybe I'm just preaching to the choir here, but uh, I wonder how many people actually think about that. Um, So... You know, so there it is. Well, thank you, Lewis. And, um, you know, uh, May, November come round this year, and we have uh, good things to look forward to, I guess is all I can say.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. So would it be.
0: Okay, so mode it be. All right, listeners, before I leave you today, uh, just a quick word here from Joe Carson. Uh, please uh, stick with me.
1: Hello, let me say a few things about Joe Carson's film, Dancing with Gaia, an exploration of earth-based spirituality shot at sacred sites around the world. Here is what Drusilla Pettibone said on Dearmist.com. I was truly touched and even awed by the film. I don't think I can comment on it adequately until I've had a chance to watch it a couple more times. I really appreciate that there is so much substantive information to digest. For example, the info about henges and tracing the horizon line is all new to me and totally fascinating the film was obviously very beautiful and I was amazed how it was able to capture so many of the descriptions visually and seamlessly connect vintage footage with modern I especially loved when images were dynamically superimposed on each other like the lace with the water and the dancing in the flowering meadow a visual feast and with so many layers I am also so pleased to have been introduced to Monica Shu and her work It's so important for pagans to become aware of our heritage. It seems easily lost among so many new books, and the film really brought me home in a new way. Dancing with Gaia is available at dancingwithgaia.com.
0: Okay. So, uh, DancingWithGaia.com, uh, please be sure you check that out. Uh, and one last thing that um, that commercial sort of triggered for me I want to share with you is, um, you know, I am an ancient alien fan, and uh, while I don't swallow all of it, uh, I am really interested in Zachariah Sitchin, uh, the 12th Planet, uh, as well as um, uh, some of the Von Donnegan stuff. I mean, again, not all of it, but uh, I find a lot of it intriguing. Uh, Anyway, there was an episode very recently where they talked about sacred sites, um, as Joe Carson is talking about. And they talked about the vibration that they find at these sacred sites is 110 hertz. And, you know, I'm a big sacred sites person. I mean, I wrote Sacred Places of God, as 108 destinations about sacred sites all around the world. So when I heard that, my ears perked up. And um, because I certainly know when I went in the hypogeum, there was something incredible going on there. And um, and some of the sacred sites are more potent than others. Um, you know, some feel like maybe they've been stripped of their, um, of, of their potency, but some not so much. And so anyway, this 110 hertz idea, this vibration that they were talking about at a lot of these sacred sites, well, that... You know that that piqued my interest, so um, I wanted to see what that sounded like. So I went on YouTube and looked through a few. Um, offerings there of examples of uh, 110 hertz and one in particular that I liked was uh, a singing bowl which was somehow tuned to 110 hertz and I'm just sharing the results here with you Uh, it's something I'm still actually researching but um, I probably sat there with headphones and listened to this 110 hertz I want to say 30 45 minutes something like that then uh, I know I went on to other things And what I found remarkable, and I can't tell you if it's a coincidence because I haven't experimented with it, you know, regularly, but what I thought was so profound, if it wasn't a coincidence, uh, was that night I had the most vivid dreams. And not only were the dreams vivid, but my deceased grandparents, who had been deceased for more than 20 years, they actually came to me in this dream and spoke to me. I had never had that happen before, and I can't help but wonder if it was that uh, 110 hertz that, uh, you know, put my receptivity into a different place. So anyway, just um, just sharing, you know, uh, maybe you find uh, you you want to uh, explore that as well. I don't know. Uh, if you do, uh, please report back. Uh, I would love to know if it uh, if it works for you or not if um, you you get anything from it. Okay, um well, that about does it uh, for me uh, for this week, uh, dear listeners, I will be back with you, of course, uh, next Wednesday. And uh, I'm going to have with me uh, Hamasa Devi, uh, uh, Claudia, uh, who's calling in from the U.K. Uh, she is part of the, uh, oh, I don't know if I'm going to pronounce it right here, the Chuwasa uh the Danan, uh, I'm trying to look for it because I, I can say it better if I actually see it. Uh, but it's going to be that, um, you know, those early folks uh, who lived uh, in Ireland, you know, um, and, uh, you know, we're going to be talking about that history uh, of the Tuatha de And uh, forgive me if I am pronouncing that uh, incorrectly. I don't think I've ever actually heard anyone say it properly, and that's part of the problem. Uh, but we're going to uh, talk about who they were, um, you know, because I think they're probably pre-Druid, um, the indigenous people of, um, I think, Scotland. Uh, Ireland, Wales, Um, and, you know, we're going to delve into that. I know there's a, you know, a group that was part of the Fellowship of ISIS, and um, that's who our guest is, Um, and, you know, they have been Uh, practicing this for for many, 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 many years and um, I think she is going to be a really great uh, expert on the subject and uh, it's not something that uh, we've talked about here on the show um, in a while or if ever, quite frankly. So anyway, uh, thank you for tuning in today. I want to thank again uh, Reverend Louis Valadez uh, for this week and uh, last week's show. Uh, Please share it um, with your friends. I believe it is so important in this election year. And um, as I've said before, thank you for your donations. Um, now that I am retired and uh, taking care of my husband at home with a brain injury, uh, your donations mean uh, that much more. Um, you know, because I'm not able to work uh, as I was before, uh, which funded um, you know my goddess-oriented uh, practice. So, uh, if this has been a spring that feeds you, uh, I hope if you can um, help with donations, uh, you know, to keep the show on the air, that uh, that you will. Um, all right. Uh, well. Uh, Thank you very much, and uh, I will be back with you next Wednesday. Uh, Until then, uh, blessed be, and may goddess embrace you in her golden wings. Good night.